Shalom. Welcome again to Secrets of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. We welcome you and thank you for giving us your time uh, to join us today in what we hope will be a very, very interesting uh, discussion with our very honored guest. Uh, if you'd like to um, contact us with ideas and suggestions for Secrets of Meaning, feel free to contact me. Just email me at Rabbi Address at jewishsacredaging.com and please visit our uh, website jewishsacredaging.com and the Facebook page uh, obviously uh, Jewish Sacred Aging. So uh, it is uh, with a great pleasure that we welcome to today's edition of Secrets of Meaning Rabbi Seema Rossell, an old friend coming to us from beautiful Dallas, Texas. Um, Rabbi Rossell, um, First of all, welcome. It's good to see you, Seymour. It's really good to see you. Welcome to Seekers of Meaning. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about your um, great career and your continuing career in books, writing, authoring, publishing, etc. Let's get right to that. Um, Russell Books, somebody wants to get in touch with you. How do they do that? Uh, it's uh, everything is everything is very easy to find uh my name is uh, is golden on the web all you have to do is put in Seymour Rossell and you get immediately to rossellbooks.com it's just called rossellbooks.com and uh, that's where my personal uh, page is and that's where all of the books are listed and all of the people I've published and all of the books that I that are still in print of mine there are many that are no longer in print <laughs> this is part of the process of aging. Yes, this is true. But we're, we're still in print, which is I'm still world. very much in print, more important than anything else. <laughs> and I'm still working. On, I, I'm still working on creating the curriculum of Rossell. So that's, <laughs> that's a and that's a lifetime. Uh, and for those, many of us uh, of a, of a certain age who grew up in um, religious schools around the country may remember uh, some of the books that. Rabbi Rossell has written. Here's here's one that I still use and keep. Uh, when a Jew prays, uh, some of you may remember. When a Jew seeks wisdom, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Seymour's published and continues to publish your new book, a, a "Alone and Wrestling." That's the name of the new book, correct? That's the name of the new book. Yes, based <laughs> on uh, on that uh, wonderful episode in which uh, Jacob is is alone and an angel or a man wrestles with him. Malach, the, the famous yes. Malach, who has a a, a, a recurring uh, role throughout uh, Tanakh, the Malach. How, well, yes, Haggai calls him a Malach. Before that, it just says Ish in the Ish. Uh, so it just says a, a person wrestled with him, which gives rise to all kinds of explanations. So, talk to me a little bit. Let's let's start with Alone in Wrestling. It's a brand new book, recently published. Right. Um, who's it for? Is it for adults? Is it for kids? Is it for education? Who's it for? And Give me a background on that. Sure, it's uh, it is for <laughs> anyone who's interested in the mind of Rossell. It's it's really a uh, fifty years anthology of uh, pieces that I've done and articles that have appeared in different places uh, where they might have been buried now because those places may have disappeared. Uh, articles from Present Tense magazine no longer in existence. Articles from Response, which was a wonderful magazine, no longer in existence. Articles from uh, and and sermons from uh, my tenure at uh, um, in, in Spring, Texas, 
um, my short tenure as an interim rabbi of five years. Yeah, <laughs> that's about yes. a Jew- Jewish interim. Yes, right. <laughs> and a Jewish interim, exactly. Oh, right. I, well, they I said, you. would you, yeah, I'm sorry. They said, would no, you no, do no. an occasional bar mitzvah? That's how this all started. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people say to me, wait, I'm, I'm interviewing your job at, at a synagogue, it's part-time. And I say, well, you have to understand what part-time in the Jewish, Jewish world. part-time. Yeah, that means you're going to work full-time <laughs> or part-time wages. That's what exactly. it means. Exactly. That's <laughs> exactly right. Yes. Much better to do when you're retired, by the way. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's possibly, probably true. There you go. So, so, uh, so in other words, there's 50 and plus fiction and uh, um, some other uh, very interesting materials that uh, that cropped up in terms of my studies with uh, Cyrus Gordon and Joseph Campbell. I was lucky to have some very fine teachers. Simon, what what motivated you to start this? I mean, you know, as, as a young man, what what motivated you to start writing textbooks and and books for religious education what was did something grab you right away or how come i could say that there was an angel but i don't want to do that no, no, <laughs> the no. fact is now the fact is that uh, um, there was a war it was called the war in vietnam right and uh, my destiny was was shaped in the end by that war the uh, uh, the, the draft board called me in after i had been drafted and after I had received notice that I was about to be uh, called up, and the draft board called me in, and they said, we understand you're working as a director of education at this uh, new temple here in Dallas, Temple Shalom. And I said, yes. And they said, uh, well, is that like being a director of education in a uh, church? And I said, yes, except that in Jewish, uh, in the Jewish world, we don't ordain our directors of education. So, well, they said, if you can get a letter saying it's the same, we'll let you stay here because we need people like you here. And so there was no problem getting letters of recommendation, but it did say that I had to stop going to, uh, had to stop my plans to go to law school. It changed my, uh, my direction of my life because I had to stay in Jewish education in wow. order to avoid the, uh, the, Height of the draft, which was it was nineteen sixty eight, right? A tough year. So it was the very height of, of the year. war. Yeah, and so there I was, and I did. What happened was uh, I found a new job in uh, in Chappaqua, New York, with uh, Rabbi Chaim Stern of Shalom, who wow. was a tremendous force uh, for good in the movement, and uh, he was writing a book about. Uh, he was writing a prayer book for the reform movement at that moment, and I was writing uh, When Did You Praise for a publisher I had met in San Francisco named Jacob Behrman. And uh, so we studied brachot together. And that was uh, uh, really the beginning of my studying of Talmud. So I, I, my education came as a result, uh, Richie, of, of uh, each book that I edited, each author that I worked with, um, and each and every uh, endeavor that I had in the Jewish world of publishing. So uh, after a few years at Chaim uh, Sturm's congregation, I was looking to move to a larger place, and I asked Jacob Behrman to give me a recommendation. He was a publisher in New York, you know, Behrman House. Right, right. Jewish publishing. 
And uh, I asked him for a recommendation, and he said, no, I, I think you should come work for me. And at that point, the war was over. There was no threat of a draft. And so uh, I moved into Jewish publishing just because I happened to be in the right place at the right time and also because I had just finished writing uh, for him uh, the book, When Did You Praise? We had already done two books together before that and uh, off and running. I've been a publisher and a writer of Jewish books ever since. I, it's just fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. It's just fascinating how people wind up doing some of the things that they do. And in 1968, and we re many of us who may be watching or listening to this do remember those days uh, and how radically different the world was than even now. And, um, you know, you try to explain it to my grandchildren and, um, it just, even my own, our own kids, they just, it doesn't, you had to be there. You had to be there. Right. So, right. um, it, it, it was different times. And even for people who never served, we all were subject to the war in one way or another. That uh, particular absolutely. war was, that particular war was like living through, um, well, more contemporary wars have, have also been very terrible. But nothing quite like that that involved the the entire country. Well, it was the first TV war. It was the first TV war. Every night at six, you know, you'd watch. We would watch Huntley Brinkley, and you'd get all those famous pictures. And you'll recall we did all those peace services. We were constantly going out and marching and and uh, and uh, singing in, in the town square and and making uh, making joyful when we could, right? Absolutely. So we tried to uh, we tried to work for um, peace as a a goal, and so it was an interesting time to uh, to be yeah, that, in the center of things. That's uh, the understatement of the year. Yes, very interesting times. We're speaking with Rabbi Seymour Russell, the book publisher, author, rabbi, um, social commentator, etc., uh, etc. Uh, many of you, uh, and we'll be back with Rabbi Russell in a minute, but I just want to make you aware because many of you who are listening or watching this may have relatives or friends living in that uh, coastline of Florida from uh, Palm Beach County all the way down to Broward in Miami, Dade. And you're concerned because um, if something goes wrong, if this loved one is ill, who's going to take care of them? How can we can't get down there all the time back and forth? especially with airfares going up like crazy. And I want to make you aware of our sponsor for this, these several editions uh, uh, of Seekers of Meaning, my friend Amy Siegel at uh, Advocare uh, down in South Florida. Advocare is a, a care management company. It's your link uh, to assisting your family members in South Florida uh, from Palm Beach County all the way down to Miami-Dade. And they've been doing it for decades. Uh, Advocare provides uh, Assistance with medical issues, physician and medical center selection, uh, in-home care uh, with senior living options. They provide complete support to those clients wanting to stay in their home to age in place as much as possible and as long as possible. Your family is assigned a nurse care manager or a social work care manager if both uh, are needed in a particular situation. And Avacare is familiar with all their health and living needs and creates a plan to remain in, so that your loved one can remain as stable as possible and is in direct communication with you. That's really, really super important. 
Yes, so many colleagues um, who've dealt with members in in their congregation who are living this, sometimes the lack of information is really troublesome. So we want to make you aware of AdvoCare in South Florida. Their phone number, if you want to contact them, is 561-266-3489. That's 561-266-3489. Their website is caremanage.com, caremanage.com. Just uh, ask for them. Tell them you heard about it on uh, Secrets of Meeting. And as their slogan says, elders here, family there, rest assured with AdvoCare. Give them a call. It's really, really important um, to bridge that gap of non-communication. It makes you feel better that someone is helping out and somebody is taking care of your loved ones. That's AdvoCare. Rabbi Russell, um, you... Your, uh, or some of the organizations and some of the work in Jewish education, uh, uh, in, in quote, the old days, if we can even use that phrase anymore, CAGE, um, you were instrumental in starting that, were you not? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was, uh, uh, I was on the, uh, I was on the early boards of CAGE and, uh, also, uh, I was, I was involved in the, conception of cage as an organization so um and i was lucky enough to become the uh chairperson for two international jewish education conferences because of cage so that was that was uh very exciting that's a coalition for the advancement of jewish education um and it grew out of the conference on alternatives in jewish education right, right yeah um and I remember going to one or two of them, and there are hundreds and hundreds of Jewish educators from literally all over the world who would come. And wh- where is all that dynamism now? Does it still exist? Has it been transformed? Uh, or was it this golden age that now gone? There was a, there, there is a small group left called New Cage, which is run by one of the founders of, of the uh, original organization. But I, can I say a, a broader word about Cage for one second? You, you, you're, the, the, you're, you're, you're the boss. The essence of teacher education is like half of my life. Teaching teachers has been the most important thing that I think I've done in all of my years because when you teach a teacher, you influence hundreds of students, right? And so if you teach hundreds of teachers, you're talking thousands of students. And the community was at one time very involved in, and I mean the Jewish community broadly speaking, was involved in Jewish education of teachers. Today, there's plenty of money uh, which is which is sent toward making it possible for, for educators in the field to get higher degrees, but there is not very much at all for teacher education. Most of the bureaus of Jewish education have been closed down by the uh, federations, which found that they were expensive. And after all, um, you could just teach teachers by uh, talking to them. And so why, why would you invest in that? And so CAGE was an investment made by federations and private individuals, private donors uh, for the, and it, it was a constant force in terms of, of having to fundraise enormous amounts of money every year in order to create those conferences. And in the end, um, the 
the professionals in the field decided that they could no longer be volunteers as fundraisers. And that's what happened uh, to Cage. Poor, poor Cage uh, was a victim of its own success. They hired only professionals. And when only professionals had it in their hands, um, they drive to, to, to the central mission of Cage was diverted and uh, they kept raising money for things that had nothing to do with teacher education. Um, and so the end result was, of course, that uh, um, a last conference or two saw them with no funds left, whatever. And wow. that was the end of the uh, end of an organization. And I think the end of an era, the new cage would be good if federations and the American Jewish community came to its aid and did the funding for it, sent the teachers. But instead, what's what's going on now is that the teachers are paying their own way. And so it's not, it's not effective. And it isn't reaching a very large number of teachers. And it isn't, the job of teacher education has fallen, I'm afraid, uh, by the wayside at this point, except for in a few, very few places, um, excellent places. Uh, Cleveland has a wonderful program. Uh, for example, Miami and Los Angeles have very good programs. You have uh, a good program probably in Boston. I haven't looked at it in a while, but in any case, there are places where it's, where it's going on. But at the college level, for example, at uh, um, at HUC, where I was head of the School of Education for a, while, for a, a couple of years under uh, um, Steinberg, uh, we, we had uh, a teacher education component that no longer exists at all. HUC has given up on that entirely. Um, I don't know if JTS has any. In other words, they are willing to train professionals in the field, but our teachers are not professionals because they're all part-timers. Right. And so there needs to be a constant training because there's a constant turnover. Would I be mistaken, Seymour, of saying that um, if you painted a broad brush of the impact of the supplemental religious school that so many of our congregations have and many of us were raised with, have those supplemental religious schools become less effective in the last two or three decades? I, I can't actually say that for a fact, okay? I can't say that for a fact because the best effect of religious schools has always been the people we put in front of the kids. They're all good people. Mm -hmm. And putting good people in front of, of putting good people and people who uh, cherish Judaism in front of the kids is always going to be effective to some degree. I can say that when you train people who are good people, they do better. They, they are more inspiring and they're more, they're more efficient at their, at their, their ability to control and, and to maintain themselves. For a long time now, we've been on Zoom, and classes have not been in general classrooms. That that hiatus has affected all of education across the entire country. You know that. Right. Um, even scores in the general schools are not what they used to be, and that we're going to have to recover from that uh, from that hiatus. But um, if the recovery does not include a serious attempt at 
uh, teacher education, I think it will be um, detrimental. It's uh, it's very difficult. We don't have people coming over anymore from uh, Eastern Europe. We don't have people who are who have knowledge of uh, Hebrew language coming over in any great numbers, and so yeah, it will it will be detrimental. I think um, curriculum is something the teachers should be more aware of and should know better. Instead, they are given course subjects to teach, unfortunately, and not not necessarily understanding the the thrust and impact uh, that curriculum has when it is unified. Is social media going to just uh, develop a new golden age for Jewish education, allowing more people, more access to more individuals and uh, more scholars? Um, without ever having to leave home, uh, it it looks it looks okay. Um, I'll tell you one thing is is definite, and that is there's more adult education now than there has been in many 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 years. So you were you were always pushed to get you know ten or fifteen people to uh, come to a course for a few weeks, but now with Zoom you can get twenty five and thirty five and forty five people coming to. Every uh, Sabbath uh, Torah study, for example, or you you can have uh, you can have people from all over the country coming to your Torah study. We do as uh, Temple Emmanuel, for example. Yeah, we actually do, and and uh, it's fantastic. I I teach Torah there uh, maybe every couple of weeks. I do a, a Hever Torah session, and other rabbis in the congregation do Torah sessions there. And uh, of course, mine is just free because I'm. Uh, I'm a rabbi without portfolio, <laughs> and they they uh, and th- there's great love for it. We have fifty, sixty people on a, a regular Shabbat. No, so I, I think I, adult education has taken a turn for the for the uh, um, for the better. Okay, mm-hmm. I think that's that's true. Um, uh, where we where we're suffering is uh, in in terms of the democracy of the camps. The camps are aimed more at uh, affluent um, society. Um, we're suffering in the uh, in the afternoon schools where uh, they fill time with uh, with Zoom, uh, not Zoom, but but um, animated animated uh, cartoons and and um, songs and and dances from the web. And yes, it's 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 harder to say. Is this curriculum? I don't know. It depends on the educator, I suppose, more than anything else, if and how intense they are in terms of making selections carefully. One of the things that we're we're picking up a lot, and in the last in in our work in Jewish Sacred Aging, is the the what some people may call the new Jewish grandparent. The, the fact that baby boomers now who are very actively in, in many ways involved with their own grandchildren have become real role models for Jewish continuity and, uh, Jewish tradition, much more in many ways than their parents. Yes. So c- could you speak to a little bit about the potential, uh, for and the need in it, in your opinion, for an expansion of intergenerational educational program, bringing generations together either in an informal situation um, or in a formal situation in a building. But this seems to be, the time seems to be really, really, really right for that. 
It's an interesting idea. I'm, I'm not uh, aware of a tremendous amount of that going on at the moment. It's an idea for for a future, I think. Um, I, I would hope that, that some of that would happen. We still have the problem of adults needing to be um, educated in their own Jewishness. And so if you, if you have um, a 13-year-old understanding of Judaism, and you're a grandparent, you still have a 13-year-old understanding of Judaism. And, the, and so you want to make sure that the kind of understanding that you have is growing at the same time. You don't have to be, uh, as we say in the trade, you don't have to be an expert in something. But the fact is, you have to be constantly living it. Uh, in terms of renewing your education and thinking about it and, 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 uh, doing that it makes it possible to pass something on to the next generation. If what you're passing on to the next generation is the same thing as what they're getting in, in a, a religious school setting, it is nice and it's wonderful and they will remember you as grandpa and grandpa and grandma. That's wonderful. I, I think there's more. It's a possibility that you're suggesting is even better. And that uh, that intergenerational possibility exists in the homes. Well, that's yeah. And if you remember, there was a there was a period of time. I think the U, the URJ did it, and other organizations did it as well. And there were literally at home curriculums that you would take home, and and I don't know whether they still exist in the same level as they did a couple of years ago. But I also know that for the classes that we teach out of Jewish Sacred Aging for our demographic. There's a real growth in sincere desire for not pediatric Judaism, but real adult, mature, what we call a mature spirituality. You know, I'm, I'm living longer. I'm living differently. I have different life stages. I'm taking care of my parents. I'm taking care of my grandchildren. What the hell does this mean? And where the, where does Judaism have to say about this? Because I don't want any boba mices, fairy stories or miracle stories. I just need to tell. I just needed to talk to me about now what I'm living. Um, right. At least we're seeing more and more of that um, in the work that we're doing. So that's why I wanted to ask you about you know, and I'm glad you affirmed that there's this growth in adult education, um, which is powerful. And I think there it's can like, be even more. Of course, there can yeah, be yeah. Even more. As a matter of fact, I have I have a feeling that uh, adults are more and more interested in spiritual questing, what I'd like to call it, spiritual questing, that what they're really interested in is finding out uh, the dimensions that are available to them uh, for uh, feelings and for emotions and for intellect all at one time. If you have the cognitive without the affective, you don't have much. If you have the affective without the cognitive, you don't have enough. So you may, you have to find ways to bring together these two. The, uh, uh, and that, that's been a big thrust in public education for a very long time. Uh, and I think now it is even more effective because of the availability of, uh, of, of ways of, of reaching people. Okay. So we have more ways of reaching people. We can actually show them the process of cooking kreplach. We don't have to, just talk about it or have a recipe and we can actually show them, you know, with a YouTube, the same way you, you 
change the oil in a car, right? But is the meaning of the kreplach going to come through? <laughs> is is there going to be an understanding of what what is Jewish about this particular food, for example? What makes a matzah ball Jewish? <laughs> Wow. Um, is there going to be an understanding of, of the, uh, the, the essence of, of things? Uh, okay. So, uh, for example, in CCR Journal uh, recently, I published an article um, which had in it a curriculum for spirituality. Okay. I, kn- I know it's, it's buried there. <laughs> uh, and so I put it into the, uh, I put it into my book, uh, Alone in Wrestling, uh, so, just so it would be available. Uh, much more uh, publicly. And uh, it, it starts with this idea of Hineni, which, as you know, is, is, is a critical Jewish idea from the, uh, from the Bible. And the idea is that if God calls, the word, the answer is, I'm here. And when, what we mean by when God calls can change. When you find your calling, that is God calling, and that means you have to answer, I am here. So the first thing is, is to know that, right? The second thing is to have heroes that are not just Jewish heroes. Spirituality calls on us to have heroes who are outside the Jewish. I mean, Mother Teresa is a hero of mine, for example, okay? I, I, Albert Schweitzer happens to be a hero of mine. I, I just find these people to be... Uh, models that I can live with. But Martin Buber is also a hero of mine. And uh, I did get to meet him once. That was amazing. Wow. And, and you know, this is, uh, that, that was a, a tremendous experience. Um, and, and things like that happen in, in general life. You can find heroes. They don't have to be great names. They can be heroes down the street who are doing great things. And that is part of your spiritual development. And I could go on. There are three or four more different elements to this idea of uh, spiritual design. The point is we can create a curriculum that utilizes all of the uh, effective tools that we have, but only if we have a purpose. When we created When Did You Praise, when we created When Did You Celebrate, when we created that uh, that whole series, when we created the uh, the uh, Louis Jacobs series on Jewish law and Jewish ethics and responsibility, we had a purpose. And the purpose was bound up with Eugene Borowitz's idea of covenant theology. We were the first, we, we made a break from what had been before. What had been before was uh, Mordecai Kaplan's theory of Judaism as a civilization. And all of the books that had come before us and all of the curriculum that had been written before us was influenced by that. Why? Because Emmanuel Gamerin was a student of Mordechai Kaplan. Emmanuel Gamerin became the head of education for the reform movement. And um, Dushkin, who was uh, the head of education for the conservative movement, was a student sitting next to uh, Emmanuel Gamerin und- uh, at the, under the tutelage of Mordechai Kaplan. My great friend uh, Manny Gold studied under Mordechai Kaplan. So you had these people who knew, you know, how to create a curriculum based around the idea of Judaism as a civilization. But that curriculum was insufficient in one aspect, and that was faith. The one thing Kaplan never had was poetry. He had everything else. He knew, he knew everything, but he never had poetry and he couldn't inspire. For example, you have, uh, um, 
a, a wonderful uh, inspiration in, in a person like uh, A.J. Heschel. Right. Okay? Heschel is nowhere near the intellect of a Kaplan. Nowhere near. Heschel is a wonderful, wonderful inspirer of people because he speaks in poetic ways. Yeah, he writes poetry. Yeah, he, he writes, writes poetry. poetry. And, poetry. And so the poetry speaks to people. I, I say to you again, if you have the cognitive and you have the affective and you can't get them together, it's not complete. We tried to bring together both the cognitive and the affective. We, we created extensive teachers' materials for those uh, wonderful books that we did. The books were, were lovely. They were new. They were fresh. They looked like textbooks from the public schools. Um, they were current, okay? But the teachers' materials, you had teachers who spent two or three uh, hours more than you would ever spend uh, to create each lesson. And therefore, those lessons were invaluable. And we know that uh, they, they were used mostly by stoplight teachers in the, in the real world. You know, those are people who read the teacher's guide if there's a stoplight and it's long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, and they're on, on the way the, to Sunday school. <laughs> right, on the way, on the way from the parking lot into the building. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but, I, I, but it's okay because the, it, if they even glanced at it, it was worthwhile. All those books were bound up with the idea of covenant theology. And so now the, the effect of that is that all the rabbis were now in the field, Richie. They all studied covenant theology. Right. Absolutely. They didn't know it. They didn't yes. know it. And a lot of the grandparents out there have been, uh, were, were, were students of covenant theology without knowing it. Gene's, uh, Gene's influence was, uh, Magnified greatly by the uh, by the use of uh, this 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 way of getting two people in terms of making them think that there is a covenant between us and God that creates a partnership, and that that partnership is and I'm trying to express it in the simplest possible way. There's a covenant between us and God creating a partnership that makes us responsible as much as God is responsible. And the response that you alluded to of Hineni really is at the heart of so much of that. And, and in Jewish education, not just, well, performing it, but really being engaged. And I'm, 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 and I thank you for also emphasizing, as you did a couple of minutes ago, the idea of teacher training and how, you know, how, how absolutely important that is and how sadly in many cases it's been lost, uh, to our detriment. And we may be but it can be price. it can be restored. I'm right. sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, it can no, no, be no, restored. No. It, even though it's lost, it's never really lost. It's always there as an opportunity. Okay, so as soon as the educator wants to, it's there again, and that it is an enormous, enormous responsibility for the community to ensure that there are good teachers, and there are teachers who really are effective. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to uh, vent no, on no, that that's, because that's why we're that here. Is. That, that we're, <laughs> no, no, that we'll be right back with uh, Rabbi Russell for some concluding remarks in a minute. But I just want to remind you before we do leave today's uh, Seekers of Meaning uh, to contact, please, Avacare in South Florida. If you have a loved one, a family member, if you're separated by distance and you're concerned about who's taking care of mom or dad or 
or whoever, or brother or sister, et cetera, et cetera. Avacare uh, Care Management is a full-service care management company serving Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and the Palm Beach County areas. They're professional health advocates. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to assist you and your family members in the South Florida area. They're professional health uh, advocates. They know the best resources and how to navigate the healthcare system, which, as you know, is extremely important. It can be overwhelming, especially in a crisis. Uh, Avocare will accompany a loved one to doctor appointments, provide professional support in the ER, communicate medical pers- uh, with medical providers with you, keep you and your family informed. That's really, really crucial. So if you're interested in contacting them, if you have a need, Advocare, Advocare, it's uh, www.caremanage.com. That's caremanage.com. And if you want to call them and remind them that you heard about it on Secrets of Meaning, 561, that's the area code, 561-266-3489. That's 561-266-3489. Seymour, I thank you very much for joining us today. If somebody wants to get in touch with you to bring you in either personally or by the magic of the Zoom machine, uh, how do they do that? Rosellbooks.com is the way to go. And it's two R-O-L. S's and one L. R O S S E L B O O K S, obviously, dot com. Um, I, I had a kind of thought of about a closing story for you. Is that okay? Can I give you a, a minute of closing you're, story? You're the boss. You're the boss. Uh, <laughs> I wrote a, a, a book called Bible Dreams, and there's a story in there that I, I like to, uh, uh, to, to tell about what we've been talking about. And that is that there was a rabbi who died, and he was a famous rebbe. And uh, his widow uh, didn't have money. Of course, there were no uh, no funds, pension funds for rebbies. So, <laughs> so she dis- had to sell off, auction off all of the possessions of her uh, husband, her late husband. And uh, all of his followers came, and they they all made bids, and and. And everybody walked away with something except the richest follower. And the richest follower didn't walk away with anything. And, uh, and, and so she came up to him after the auction. She said, you didn't buy anything. And he said, no, I was waiting for one thing. And she said, what's that? He said, I wanted the Rebbe's pipe. Because I know when the Rebbe smoked, he used to see visions. And I wanted, I wanted, the, I wanted that. And she said, I was sort of going to keep that for myself because it was so personal. But uh, uh, he offered her a price, and she said, okay. And he said, well, for that price, I should try it out. So she gave him the pipe and some tobacco from the Rebbe, and he sat down. And the moment he lit up, he saw the room fall away, and he saw a tremendous vision of heaven. And he saw the gates of heaven and marble and beautiful. And and. And he was so excited by what he saw that the pipe fell out of his mouth and uh, and threatened to burn his pants. And he got up and he, all the vision was gone. And he gave the the, uh, the widow the money and he went home. And as soon as he got home, he sat down in his own chair and he lit up and nothing happened. And finally, he went to the new Rebbe and he said to him, I think I've been cheated somehow. And the new Rebbe said, no, you've not been cheated. When you smoked the pipe the first time, it still belonged to the Rebbe. So you saw what the Rebbe saw. But now the pipe is yours. 
And only the dreams that you can see are the dreams that you're going to see. When you have the pipe in your hands, it's your responsibility. Dream and dream well. Rabbi Russell. Thank you very much, Seymour. To all of you, thank you very much for joining us on today's edition of Seekers of Meaning, the podcast and TV arm of Jewish Sacred Aging. If you'd like to make a tax-free donation to help us to help support our work and these podcasts, please go to the website, Jewish Sacred Aging, and click on the donate button and just follow the prompts. Again, a thank you to our guest today, Rabbi Seymour Rossell, and to our sponsor, AvoCare, um, care management company in South Florida. Seekers of Meaning is produced at the Broadcast Center of, Lume- of Lubetkin Media Companies in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and a thank you to our producer, Steve Lubetkin. I'm your host, Rabbi Richard Address. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you on our next edition of Seekers of Meaning. And until then, shalom, take care, be safe, stay well, be kind. Toda Rabbah, shalom. <laughs>